may be warm in here, but nonetheless, we are glad you are here. And uh, I'd like to promise you that I'll keep it uplifting enough that you won't fall asleep when it's warm, but um, it might be a little presumptuous that I'm able to do that. I can tell you, Kristen and I went on a mission trip, I don't know, eight or nine years ago to Guyana in South America. And we visited three different locations, had the opportunity to preach and teach, and none of them were air-conditioned. And I don't remember once any of us complaining about the heat and uh, the conditioning that this was good to be there. Um, I honestly, in my mind, remember it as fairly pleasant. Some of those uh, buildings didn't have a whole lot of lights and they were just concrete floors, but felt cool enough. Nonetheless, um, we will endure. It's, uh, it's pleasant in here. It's 75. Could be a lot worse. Could be uh, could be 90 in here with no uh, no air moving. We're going to see how well I can tie this lesson together. I um, we've been going through some lessons on God's promises and been trying to wrestle in my mind how I continue to maybe continue on with that or if I'm ready to move along to something else and um, I just pivoted and changed my lesson a little bit. I think it's still going to tie in well, but you guys, um, a couple of things this morning intrigued my mind a little bit. Thinking about Judges, we talked about the account with, um, with Deborah and Jael and what had happened there um, and that got me to thinking and then Greg had mentioned the um, the, the stabbing, I guess, I'm going to put to the king. And so I got to looking those up, and then Jimmy began his sermon and talking about um, our attitudes toward frustration and maybe a little bit around our patience and how we handle those things. And I got to thinking about how frustrating Israel must have been to God. And maybe mankind as a whole, right? And I don't want to, um, I don't want to bring God down to our level and ascribe his feelings the same as ours, but I think it's safe enough to conclude that we can see some of that frustration in his voice of all that he gave unto Israel and all the blessings that they had, how they rode this roller coaster of obedience and rebellion and obedience and rebellion and obedience and rebellion. And I want to use, we're going to look at Judges just because it's fresh in our minds and would be a good reminder of um, Deborah and the accounts there that, that we talked about just briefly this morning. We'll look at those in Judges, but I want to tie it in with God's promise, promises, I guess, plural. And when you, um, as we read through Judges, and I'm going to let the first couple of chapters kind of speak for themselves as we read, and then I may have a little commentary in, in three and four, and maybe a little bit in five. Um, but I want you to think of it in light of God's promises and that even through these times of obedience and disobedience, God's patience, his long suffering, how he fulfilled his promises, even as Israel struggled to, uh, to keep theirs. Consider first the, uh, the promises that were given. Let's go all the way back to Abraham and the promise that was Promises, plural, to Abraham. Let's go back to Genesis 12, and let's start there for a moment. We're going to flip, as we have the last few weeks. We'll turn our pages quite often. So go to Genesis 12 and start in verse 1 with me. 
Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. I would contend to you, uh, to you that there are at least three blessings that we see uh, promises, uh, promises and blessings to Abraham, to Abram at this point, before he is Abraham. The first is that he will make of Abraham a great nation. That would include the, the great nation singular and blessing him to make his name great would, would be physical blessings, right? There would be a, two physical blessings there. There also is the seed promise that we see there and that we see in verse 3, in that in thee all families of the earth shall be blessed. And that one we will see and will bear out to be a spiritual blessing to, uh, to all of God's people. Each and every one of these to be fulfilled and to be kept by God. God had said it, God had made the covenant, and it would be as it as he had said. There'd be no mistake or more change to it. Um, and we see these repeated, we see them repeated often, sometimes um, to Abraham or concerning Abraham, sometimes concerning Israel, the reminder of these promises that were given unto him. Go with me, um, I've got a couple more that just reference to it. Let's go to chapter 17 and verse 4. Genesis 17, 4. As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. So repetition of that promise unto Abraham to be a father of many nations, and that through him many nations would be blessed, or all nations. All people would be blessed. I'll get it straight here in a minute. Let's go to chapter 18 now. Flip over and start in verse 18. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of him. Now there are some of these uh, promises that I would tell you I contend are conditional. And then there is at least one of them that is not. The blessing of all nations, which we'll, we will see is Christ, who is going to come through the descendants of Abraham. That is assured. Now, whether or not the land promise and to make Abraham a great uh, nation are sure, they were sure as long as Abraham kept the covenant, I would tell you. Let's go to, um, can't read my own handwriting, we got to talk about lefties this morning. Let's see if it is Deuteronomy 1 here. Or this afternoon we were talking about that. Uh, Deuteronomy 1.10 is the fulfillment of the great nation. Jumping ahead of myself with that one. This is what I get for not making slides, y'all. 
I also had 2218 of Genesis, but again, I think that is just a um, another conclusion of God to Abraham, where it says, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. I guess that's what I was um, including in there, that there was some condition to some of that promise, or some of those promises, in that because thou hast obeyed my voice. Maybe it will bear out here in my other references. Um, we know that the fulfillment of the great nation through um, in Abraham was fulfilled. We see that with Abraham himself and the, um, the physical blessings that Abraham here had on this earth. If we don't um, see that as the fulfillment, and maybe your mind is, is still stretching for the fulfillment. You saw there Deuteronomy 1.10. I didn't read it, so let's go back there real quick. Deuteronomy 1.10 says, The Lord your God hath multiplied you, and behold, you are this day as the stars of heaven for them. Uh, the Lord your God hath multiplied you, and behold, you are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. Another, in other words, their number was that great. Um, and so that we see as fulfilled. We also see it in 2 Samuel 9. So go to 2 Samuel with me real quick. I promise I will tie these into Judges here in a moment. I told you we'll see how good I do. 2 Samuel 9. And verse 12. That is not what I wanted. I'm sorry, you guys, that I got these two verses, or these verses, mixed up in the way I wanted to do I'm going to move on past that and see if it bears out later on in some more of my notes here. Um, we see the fulfillment of, of the great nation. We see the land promise fulfilled. Um, 17, 7 through 8, we, uh, we read that. We see in Joshua um, 21, Joshua 23. Let's go over to Joshua. Joshua 21, verses 43 through 45. And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that he sware unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. There failed not aught of any good things which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. So the um, promise of a great nation and the land promise, we know for sure, was kept. Because Joshua himself says that which God had promised unto them and to the land promise had been fulfilled. Verse 45, 45 said all had been kept. Go over to chapter 23. I guess I could have used that verse earlier. 23 and verse, start at verse 11 with me. And we'll read through the end of the chapter. Take good heed therefore unto yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Else if ye, else if ye do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of the nations, 
Even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they to you, know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given unto you. There is condition to this. And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and are not one thing hath failed thereof. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things until ye have just until he have destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you, when ye have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods, and bowed yourselves to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and ye shall perish quickly from off the good land which he had given unto you. So, Maybe I should have just read a little further earlier when I said there were conditions upon some of these. Josh himself and Joshua proclaimed both of those in 21 and 23. But in both of those accounts, he also says that land promise had been fulfilled. The seed promise maybe had not yet. That seed promise we would see fulfilled, beginning to be fulfilled through, uh, through Israel and then would, would be Christ. And we understand that lineage and we will close with that. Um, toward the end of this. But I want you to, to think about those things. Maybe think about Joshua 21 and 23 in particular, but maybe all of, of the promises unto Abraham, unto Israel, and then Joshua and how he prescribed these conditions unto them in order to walk in God's ways, that which they were to keep. And for the sake of time, I'm going to skip these others. These, um, I told you, we see references to Abraham. We see these reference to Israel. If you want to, want to see them referenced in the name of Israel, the nation, you can see that in Exodus 6, 6 through 8, where he promised to take them out of bondage and to give them the land promise. You see in Exodus 19, 4 and 6, if I'd read a little bit further, I would see some more of my references. The, uh, the conditions placed upon uh, or where it feels those conditions are there for the, uh, the promise. You also see that in um, Exodus 23, 22 through 23, and Exodus 23, 25 and 31. And then flip over to Judges. So we get Joshua's um, assurance that these have been fulfilled. And we see Joshua's conclusion that the people are going to have to continue to walk in God's way to continue to prosper. We read last week the account at the beginning of Joshua in chapter 1, where the Lord told Joshua to walk in those ways and to keep his commandments. And those things would lead to um, his physical blessings. And then let's start in Judges chapter 1. And as I told you, I want to read them because they, uh, they set some good stage for what I'm going to talk about in 3, 4, and 5. I'm just going to let the Bible speak mostly for itself. I might have a few comments, but I think you'll pick up in what you hear as what you just heard from Joshua. All right, Judges chapter 1. Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, 
Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hands. And Judah said unto Simeon, his brother, come up with me into my lot, that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I likewise will go with thee into thy lot. So Simeon went with him. And Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hands, and they slew of them in Bazak, 10,000 men. And they found, there's going to be some tough words here that I may get wrong, guys. And they found Adana Bezek in, uh, in Bezek, and they fought against him, and they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued after him, and caught him, and cut off his thumbs and his great toes. And Adonai Zebek, Adonai, Adonai Bezek said, Three score and ten kings, having their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table, as I have done, so God hath requited me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. Now the children of Judah had fought against Jerusalem, and had taken it, and smitten it with the edge of the sword, and set the city on fire. And afterward, the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites that dwelt in the mountain and in the south and in the valley. And Judah went against the Canaanites that dwelt in Hebron. And they slew Shishan and Ahiman and Talman. And from thence he went against the inhabitants of Debir. And the name of Debir before was Kirjeth uh, Sefer, or Sefer. And Caleb said, He that smiteth Kirjeth Sefer and taketh it, to him will I give Aksah, my daughter, to wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it, and he gave him Aksah, his daughter, to wife. And it came to pass, when she came to him, that she moved him to ask her father a field. And she lighted from off her donkey, and Caleb said unto her, What wilt thou? And he said unto him, Give me a blessing, for thou hast given me a south land. Give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the nether springs. And the children of Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up out of the city of palm, out of the city of palm trees, with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lieth in the south of Arad, and they went, went and dwelt among the people. There's significance to that and what we will continue to read here. And Judah went with uh, Simeon, his brother, and they slew the Canaanites that inhabited Zephath and utterly destroyed it. And the name of the city was called Hermoth. Or Hermoth. Also Judah, Judah took Gaza, with the coast thereof, and Ascalon with the coast thereof, and Ekron with the coast thereof. And the Lord was with Judah, and he drave out the inhabitants of the mountains, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley, because they had chariots of iron. And they gave Hebron unto Caleb, as Moses said, and he expelled thence the three sons of Anak. And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jer Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwelt with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. That's of significance as well. And the house of Joseph, they 
also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them, and the house of Joseph sent to decry Bethel. And the spies saw a man come forth out of the city, and they said unto him, Show us, we pray thee, the entrance into the city, and we will show, you, show thee mercy. And when they shewed him the entrance into the city, they smote the city with the edge of the sword, but they let go the man and all his family. And the man went into the land of the Hittites and built a city and called the name thereof Luz, which is the name thereof unto this, unto this day. Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of uh, Bethshan, Bethshan, and her towns, nor Tanakh and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Dor and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Iblium and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Megadu and her towns, but the Canaanites would dwell in that land. There's significance there. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. That's of significance. Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, nor the inhabitants of Nahalal, but the Canaanites dwelt among them and became tributaries. Neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Echo, nor the inhabitants of Zidon, nor of um, Elab, nor Akzib, Akzib nor uh, Helbah, nor Aphek, nor of Rahab. But the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, nor the inhabitants of Beth Anah, but he dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and of Beth Anah became tributaries unto them. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountain, for they would not suffer them to come down to the valley. But the Amorites would dwell in Mount um, Harris, in Atjalon, and in Shealem. Yet the, yet the hand of the house of Joseph prevailed, so that they became tributaries. And the coast of the Amorites was from the going up <coughs> to Akrabim, from the rock and upward. I'm going to continue to let God's word speak. But all those things you just heard, I read because it's of significance. Um, we'll let the word here and the messenger that was sent from God just speak for itself. And the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you into the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass, when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochim, or Boshem, and they um, sacrificed there unto the Lord. Fulfillment of what Josh had told them was coming, 
what God had promised, both in his goodness and his severity, walk with God and he will keep his promise. Don't walk with God and he will keep his promise. And his promise was, I, I will not walk with you if you won't keep my ways. If you um, intermingle with these people, if you defile yourselves and they sanctify them not, themselves not, set themselves apart. God had already warned them through Joshua that he wasn't, he wasn't going to drive these folks out, but that they would be a thorn in their, um, thorn in their eyes and, uh, and in their sides. All right, verse 4. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord uh, spake the words of, I already read that one, um, verse 6. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. So for a while they walked with God. As long as Joshua was there to lead them, or the elders, those who knew of God and had seen that which God had done, the implication there seems to be that they walked with him, but, verse 8 and following, and Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 120 years old, and they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath, Timnath Harris, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gaash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. So the elders and Joshua had passed and another generation has passed. And the reason I had Sean read this, in my opinion, this is one of the greatest atrocities, um, greatest misfortunes of the Bible. And if we are not careful, we will continually repeat it. This generation that it speaks of next, it doesn't account yet that they are rebellious. What it says is they didn't know God. Now that would have been upon their mothers and their fathers and their ancestors to have made sure they knew God and his ways. Because they were already assured through Joshua or told through Joshua God's promises would be there both in goodness and severity as long as they walked with him as it came to the possession of the land and their, um, their physical needs. Finish up verse 10 here. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. They didn't know God. They didn't know that which God had done. They didn't know the extent of the promise, in my opinion. They should have known all those things. Verse 11. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and father, followed other gods. Of the gods of the people that were round about them, that fulfills that which God said through Joshua. If they weren't careful, what happened? They would, those gods would be a stumbling block to them. And bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal, and Ashtaroth, and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. There's his frustration. And he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. 
as the Lord hath said, and as the Lord hath sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. Again, fulfillment of that which he had warned them. Verse 16, Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. There's God's long-suffering and patience that we talked about, too. They didn't deserve it. But a remnant had to remain, and he still did have compassion upon the nation of Israel. And so he raised up judges. We see a little bit about the role of, of judges here. They, uh, they delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. They were, they were military leaders. Verse 17, and yet they would not hearken unto their judges, but they went a-whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, that's their fathers, but they did not so. And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. It's God's long-suffering and his compassion there. And we also see in 18 again, the part of the role of the judges, military leaders that um, would, would lead them out of the hand of their enemies. Verse 19, and it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers and following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them they cease not from their own doings, nor from their stubborn ways. So there's that up and down, obedience, disobedience, obedience, disobedience. It's almost as if, and I may be overreaching, but I don't think so. I think we could bear it out with some other verses. Maybe we'll do that at, at another time. It is almost as if the nation of Israel, when times were good, got soft. And when adversity came upon them, that softness led to weakness, which led to sin. Because now they had allowed an entire generation to be raised that didn't know God or his ways or that which they should follow. And now that, that, um, that generation is rebellious because we see God is giving them judges. And as he gave them judges, they... They were in and out of their obedience or their following with those judges. It, it said that they wouldn't follow um, the commandments of the Lord, but they did, uh, they did not so. All right. I lost my place now. I think I'm at verse 20. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, Because that this people hath transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and hath not hearkened unto my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died, that through them I may prove Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily, neither delivered he them into the hand of Joshua." We see again that which Joshua had forewarned them. God had forewarned them through Joshua that if they didn't walk with him, he would keep his promises in goodness and in severity. Chapter 3. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan. Only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war 
at the least, such as before knew nothing thereof. That's, again, part of my thinking is the nation of Israel, when times were good, just got soft. God's, God's going to show them some harsh times is to see if they will turn to him and walk therein, as he said in verse 22, or if they will not. All right, verse 3. Namely, five lords of the Philistines and of the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites that dwelt in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon unto the entering in of Hamath. And they were to prove Israel by them to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Again, there's conditions set then. We see that uh, conclusively here. Verse 5, And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And they took their daughters, all this which they should not have done, and they took their daughters to be their wives, and gave their daughters to their sons, and served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and forgat the Lord their God, and served Balaam in the groves. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the land of the king of Mesopotamia. I tried that one several times, guys. If you want me to try it once, I think it is Chushan Rishathaim. I hope he let his inner circle just call him King, or maybe they had a nickname. Maybe they called him Chew or Chewy. Um, I'd hate to have to, to call that King multiple times. Verse 9, And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer of the children of Israel, who delivered them, even Ophniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. So we see the first judge, Ophniel. And the Spirit of the Lord came unto him, and he judged Israel, and went out to war, and the Lord delivered the king of Mesopotamia into his hands, and his hand prevailed against the king of Mesopotamia. And the land had rest forty years, and Othniel the son of Kenaz died. I wonder what the people did when Othniel passed, when the judge passed, right? Twelve, and the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel. Because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek. And went and smote Israel and possessed the city of palm trees. So the children of Israel served Eglon the king of Moab eighteen years. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Long suffering, patience, compassion. The Lord raised them up a deliverer. Ehud. Ehud. Still didn't sound that. That's the way I'm going to go with it. Ehud. Whether it's Ehud or Ehud the son of Gerah, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. He's in good company. And by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. But Ehud made him a dagger, which had two edges, of a cubit length, and he did gird it, in, gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. And he brought the present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. And Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present. But he himself turned again unto the quarries that were by Gilgal and said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king. Remember, he's carrying out the uh, deliverance of God's people here. And all that stood by him went out from him. And Ehud came unto him, and he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from God unto thee. And he arose out of his seat 
And Ehud put, put forth his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the haft, the handle, also went in after the blade, and the fat closed upon the blade so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly, and the dirt came out. And Ehud went forth through the porch and shut the doors of the parlor upon him and locked them. When he was gone out, his servants came, and when they saw him, behold, the doors of the parlor were locked. They said, Surely he covereth his feet in his summer chamber. Take a time, I'm going to drop down. Let's go down to 28. And he said unto them, Whoop, I went too far. 27. And it came to pass when he was come that he blew a trumpet in the mountain of Ephraim, and the children of Israel went down with him from the mount and he before them. And he said unto them, Follow after me, for the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And they went down after him and took the fords of Jordan for Moab and suffered not a man to pass over. And they slew Moab at the time about 10,000 men, all lusty and all men of valor, and there escaped not a man. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest fourscore years. After Ehud comes Shamgar. We don't hear a whole lot about Shamgar other than evidently Shamgar knew how to fight. Verse 31, and after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goat. And he also delivered Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor, the captain of whose host was Sisera, which dwelt in Harosheth, Harosheth of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. They did evil, they turned to God, God sent them a judge. Verse 4, And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, the judge that she judged Israel at that time. The one and only um, female judge that we read about in the Bible. The only judge, I believe, that we see also described as a prophetess or prophet. I'm going to keep reading. We'll have some more comments about uh, Deborah. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramoth and Bethel in Mount Ephraim, and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. We know assuredly she is a judge over Israel, told us in verse 4, but she is doing another role of a judge in that she is sitting under the palm tree, and she is giving counsel, making um, judgment for the people as they come unto her for, uh, for a decision on matters that they couldn't decide for themselves. We're also going to see uh, conclusively that she is a prophet. I believe there's enough here to, uh, to, to show us that she is. There is some debate for some reason among religious scholars around that, but there's no reason to conclude otherwise. Deborah was a judge, and Deborah was a prophetess. Verse 6, And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, out of uh, K-Naphtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabar, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali? 
and the children of Zebulun. Now, basically, she was saying, didn't God tell you? Right, this is a question mark. Didn't God tell you to go up against? Verse 7, and I will, this is her continued um, statement, and I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon, Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thy hand. That is what the Lord had said unto Barak. Listen to Barak's answer. Barak said unto her, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. God had told him he should go. You would have thought his answer would be, I'm going. Her answer was, or her question basically was, why haven't you gone? His statement was, you go and I'll go. We see her fulfilling the role of a judge there as well, in that she is um, leading the people, <laughs> delivering the people out of their oppression. Verse 10, and, um, and Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and he went up with 10,000 men at his feet, and Deborah went with him. feel like I missed something. Oh, I did miss something I wanted to bring out. Verse 9. This is my thoughts here, but um, for those who would speculate or wonder if she really was a prophetess, um, in verse 9, she is concluding something that is going to happen because God has revealed it. She said, the Lord, um, in other words, Barak would not get the glory and the honor of the conquest because the Lord shall sell Thysera into the hand of a woman. It's very likely he thought that was going to be Deborah. And us, if we're just doing our first cursory reading of this, might believe that that is the case this morning. Matter of fact, I got it messed up this morning when Greg asked that. I said, yeah, she was the one who drove the spike through Sisera's head, but she is not. It is J.L. Um, <clears throat> all right, for the sake of time, let's go to verse four, 13. And Sisera gathered together all his chariots, even 900 chariots of iron, and all the people that were with him from Harasheth of the Gentiles under the river of Kishon. And Deborah said unto Barak, Up. For this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thy hand. Again, she's concluding it's already done. She trusts in God and that God has um, said that that would be so. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor and 10,000 men after him. And the Lord discomfited Sisera and all his chariots and all his hosts with the edge of the sword before Barak. So that Sisera lighted down off of his chariot and fled away on his feet. But Barak pursued after the chariots and after the hosts unto Harasheth of the Gentiles, and all the hosts of Sisera fell upon the edge of the sword, and there was not a man left. Howbeit, Sisera fled away on his own feet to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn in to me, fear not. And when he had turned in unto her, uh, when he had turned in unto her into the tent, she covered him with a mantle. And he said unto her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk, and gave him drink, and covered him. 
Again, he said unto her, Stand in the door of the tent, and it shall be when any man doth come and inquire of thee, and say, Is there any man here that thou shalt say no? Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a nail of the tent, and took a hammer in her hand, and went softly unto him, and smote the nail into his temples, and fastened it unto the ground. For he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him, and said unto him, Come, I will show thee the man whom thou seekest. And when he came unto her, her, her tent, behold, Sisera lay dead, and the nail was in his temple. I'm going to pause there for the sake of time and start making my conclusion. But I skipped over the verse, which would have helped you see that Jael... Um, her husband and their household had already separated themselves, verse 11, from the Kenites. So the evil of the Kenites, they um, had already recognized and were separating themselves. And um, Jael here is fulfilling that which God had already shown um, unto Deborah that would happen. And she, um, it was her who killed Sisera and delivered Israel um, out from under Sisera. But Barak did, Barak did his part as well in going out to meet them. Chapter 5, then, is a song which Deborah delivers that basically repeats all this. 4 is kind of a, a written foretelling. Chapter 5 is, uh, is a song that they sang recounting the entirety of that event. Um, but Deborah was both a prophet and a judge, and she, with Barak and with Jael, delivered Israel out of the hand of Sisera. But we will see, if we were to continue on in chapter 5 and in others, that as the judges passed, and there was a time in between the judges that the nation of Israel would turn from God. And so they were in and out of their obedience and their disobedience. Through it all, God kept his promise. In both goodness and in severity. Through the descendants of Abraham, through, um, through Israel, through Judah, was to come the Messiah. And that would be the fulfillment of the seed promise. And Lord willing, maybe we will study those independently. Maybe, maybe that's the next course, potentially, if I can get that put together for us. To, to see the fulfillment of the seed promise and making sure that we understand that. The fulfillment of the land promise, the fulfillment of making a great nation through Abraham was fulfilled. It is not the return of our Lord and Savior for a seven-year period to, um, to restore the nation of Israel, to restore a physical um, replacement on this earth and bringing God's people back into a physical space on earth. There is not a, um, a reference within the Bible that would support that that is the reality of what is being spoken. When we see the promise of the new Jerusalem, we see the promise of heaven, we see Christ, we see um, salvation through Christ, and we see the hope of heaven that we have. The Israelites only needed to return unto God. 
and to do his commandments and to keep them. And God would deliver them. They had that assurance. And yet they were in and out of obedience and disobedience. Just like they raised the generation that do not God, if we're not careful, as a nation, as a, um, as a generation upon the earth, we'll follow the same patterns. And we will have times of obedience and times of disobedience. And if we're not careful, we'll raise a generation that knows not God. It feels like we in this nation are eerily close. Because there is a generation that is rebelling against him now. And if there is a generation that rebels against him, there is the opportunity for a generation to be raised which knows him not. But only if you don't keep that which we have committed as well unto him. Go ye and all the nations, preach and teach, uphold that which is true. Um, defend that which is spoken of in the Bible, keep that which is good, abhor that which is evil. If we will do so, we'll sanctify ourselves. We'll have opportunity with those around us to have that influence as well. I have many more verses that I wanted to take us to. I was going to take us to Peter and to Paul and their words that help us see and connect the seed promise of uh, being the fulfillment of Christ. I think for this audience, you all probably have some indication of that already. Lord willing, we will get into that in, um, in further detail in the coming weeks, potentially. My cl in closing, I'm going to put it this way for us, as I've already stated probably a couple of times. Israel needed only to return to God and to his ways to meet the conditions of the covenant and to keep it. Some of it was conditional, some of it was not. The reality of heaven is not conditioned upon you and I keeping God's word. The establishment of heaven is and will be fulfilled. The righteous judgment will be fulfilled. Now whether or not we go home to heaven is conditional. So keep that which you have committed unto him. Keep your first love. I think um, for the vast majority of this audience, you're a member of God's family. You have come to know and to accept God's plan of salvation. You are striving to live in the manner that you should. Continue to strive to live in the manner that you should. Lean upon the assurance of God. Um, lean upon his Promises, but trust in those promises. Turn unto him in prayer for guidance. Um, build up his word in your heart so that it is readily there in times of temptation, in times of challenge, times of oppression, but in times of goodness. Because just as he did with Israel, he will fulfill his promise both in goodness and in severity. I cringe at people who believe that the statement that God is love means that surely he is not a God that would send anybody to hell. His judgment would not be righteous if it were not so. Because he has said that that is what he would do. If he were to change and to decide not to do that, his judgment wouldn't be righteous. And we know that that is not the God of the Bible. He does love us. He loved the nation of Israel. It was through them 
that the promise to, uh, to, to all mankind was to come. The Messiah was to come. All right, the Lord's invitation. I want to read some new verses tonight. We've been practicing, I've been practicing, using you guys, I guess, for the last couple of months. Making sure I could spur into remembrance those things that I needed to be able to. I want to read some new ones tonight. We know faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10.10. But I want you to go to John chapter 8. And I want to read them directly. So that number one, I don't mess them up. But number two, you can see it directly from God's word. You know this one already. But John 8 verse 32. Ye shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. In order to know the truth, we're going to have to read it or hear it proclaimed. It's not going to be miraculously imparted upon us. Christianity is a learned religion. God's ways are, um, are learned for us. And so we need to be studious, studious of the Bible. But we need to hear the words. We need to study those words. Go to John chapter 20. John 20 and verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the... If I read from the right... I knew that wasn't right when I started. I was reading from 19, I'm sorry. John 20 and 31. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life through his name. So we have to hear, we have to believe. I wrote down Acts 2.38 for repentance. You don't have to go there. We know when the audience pleaded with Peter, what shall we do or what can we do now? He said, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. We see in Acts 17 um, that the time of God, at time of ignorance, God winked at or overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. We see confession as necessary. Um, I've got here Matthew 10 and verse 32. So let's turn back to Matthew 10. I promise I'm almost there. Matthew 10, 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him while I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. We see the good confession with the Ethiopian eunuch. We see here that Christ says that those who are not ashamed of me, those that will confess me, I will confess before my Father. So we know that confession is necessary. Baptism, we reference Acts 2.38. We've been referencing um, Mark 16.16 16 previously. Galatians 3.27 um, also tells us that for as many have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ and so we recognize baptism as essential in order to put on Christ and then Revelation 2.10 I suppose we could tie it into the entirety of our study tonight but Revelation 2.10 be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of righteousness so we should strive to live in the way that God has prescribed for us to live if there's any here tonight that need to respond to the Lord's invitation, um, we plead with you to do so while you have opportunity tonight. It doesn't have to be done now, but please take it in all seriousness and all soberness. Um, God's, God's word is assured. His judgment will come. Please be ready uh, for that day.
If there are any here that need to respond for any reason, um, everybody here is, is uh, loves you and wants to help in whichever way we can. So please come forward and stand at the same.